Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Ian White, CEO, CTO, and founder of ChartHop, a people ops platform that's raised over $74 million in funding. Ian, thanks for chatting with me today. Great to be here, Brett. Yeah, so to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and just a bit more about your background? Sure. So I'm Ian. I'm the founder, CEO, and CTO of ChartHop. I've uh, been building tech for a very long time, moved to New York about 20 years ago, Built a lot of other startups. Uh, one of them was uh, Business Insider, where I was the first head of engineering. I left there to start a company called Sailthrough, which was a marketing cloud that still today delivers billions of personalized newsletter emails for top publishers and e-commerce brands. You know, from building those companies, and especially at Sailthrough, where I was a founding CTO, I got really interested in the challenges of building the organization and the people strategy behind the organization. When you scale a company, that's everything. And so I took everything I had learned from, you know, every company I'd built before and put it into ChartHop, which is a new people operations platform, a new way of planning, managing, and supporting your people in an organization. So I've been uh, building ChartHop for the last uh, roughly four years, and uh, it's been a great journey. What was it like for you making that transition from being CTO to CEO? Or I guess I should say CEO and CTO now. <laughs> well, it's definitely, it's a, it's a fun transition to make. I think I, I learned a lot. I think as a technical CEO, you have certain superpowers. And, you know, among them are your ability to talk to a customer understand the customer's need, and at the same time, understand exactly what is the technology that can be built to accomplish that customer need. And I think for me, it helps me synthesize and just understand a lot of what's happening at a lot of different levels. When I think this, this shift as CEO, it's much more about really setting and shaping the culture of the company. You know, I think that the CEO, obviously at this point, I've hired a great executive team. I've got great you know, VPs running every function. But for the CEO, you're still really that person who represents the culture and the vision. And I think people really look to the CEO to to be both the actual authority and somewhat the moral authority of the company. And so I really enjoy the role, but I enjoy being a technical CEO who's still very deep in the product. And that's why I've sort of hung on to this CTO piece of my title because I spend a lot of time with our engineering team, a lot of time with our product team, write some code myself still, even at the scale we're at. And I think it's really, it's really great being able to balance all the parts of the role. Are there any specific CEOs and founders that you really admire and look up to? Well, it's a cliche, obvious answer, but I think Steve Jobs and the way he thinks about technology as the intersection of technology and the liberal arts. And the humanities. So I actually had a background from a young age. I was doing both theater and computer science, and I actually studied both in school. And I think thinking about 
technology and technical problems from a liberal arts lens and a people first lens is something that I've brought to really every system, every company that I've ever worked on. And that's why ChartHop has been such a really great challenge and interesting problem set to work on. But I think with Jobs, you know, he's probably everybody's favorite founder because he cared so much about the product, right? And when you can have great transformational products that can really rethink or reimagine what was before, I think that's what you know, every, every technical, every product-oriented founder is, is really looking for. And, and, and the fact that he made an impact in so many different industries and in so many different areas, it's hard to pick a better founder than Jobs. To me, it's so fascinating that he was so good at making products that people love. Like, I don't know why, but I love every Apple product that I have. And like, I don't typically love hardware. You know, It's not typically something that I say, it's just so amazing. I love it. But Every Apple product that I've ever owned, it's just been amazing. And that's even you know, products that I've bought long after he's gone. So somehow he's able to embed that in the company culture just to build amazing products that people love, which is so fascinating. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that's when I think about ChartHop and I think about what we're trying to accomplish, it is that just truly building the absolute best product that's ever been built in this space. And I think, you know, if you do a great job on product, then a lot of other things can come from that as well. And we, we've just definitely seen a lot of our market traction, which has been really substantial because of when people see ChartHop and see a people operations platform, they've never seen anything quite like it before. What about books? Are there any specific books that have had a major impact on you? And these don't have to be you know, the traditional business books that everyone talks about. These can also just be you know, personal books that really influenced how you think about the world and how you view the world. Yeah. So I'll maybe give you a couple. On the business book side, you know, my favorite business book is Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's sort of a fable about a team working and collaborating together. I send a copy of it to every executive that I hire on the first day. Um, That concept of building a really high trust team that debates and aligns is really how I think about team building. And it's really been foundational to, I, I read it many, many years ago when I was, I, I think first starting to manage and it was really shaped my thinking about a lot of what good teams should be and what good leadership looks like. And, you know, I think for other books, I read a lot of fiction. One of my very favorites is Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Uh, it just covers so many different things, so many different, it's sort of vast in its sweep but a very funny book as well. I've, I've come to it again and again. So that's, that's definitely a favorite of mine. Now to switch gears a little bit, I'd love to dive a bit deeper into chart hop here. So I know you mentioned a little bit about what you do, but if you could maybe just expand on that and, and really just give us the elevator pitch, I think that'd be a great place to start. So chart is a people operations platform that helps connect and visualize and align people data to empower organizations through insights, alignment, and action. And so what we do, we bring together all of the people data, HR data, financial data, other types of data in one place that's visual, that's collaborative, that allows transparency of data sharing and allows people to take actions like planning their headcount, planning their org structure, running performance management processes, running compensation cycles, As a people operations platform, we're the single unified 
source for people data and the main point of action for the programs, processes, and initiatives of the people ops function. So we really try to bring a lot of the experience that people can have with great data platforms and great collaboration platforms and bring that to the problems of managing and supporting the people in an organization. And for the people operations leader, uh, we are that main point of action for that leader. Take me back to January 2018 when you were first launching the company. What were those early conversations like? And what was it about this problem that made you say, yep, that's it. I'm going to go solve that problem. Well, it really went back to my last company. You know, we scaled pretty quickly, as has this one. You know, what I quickly found was that I had gone from managing small teams to needing to really think as a founder very thoughtfully about the, the whole organization, how it was structured, how we were hiring people, how we were promoting or managing or compensating people, all of those kinds of things as you grow an organization, you really need to think about. And it struck me that we were building at my last company, we were building a, a platform that gave you incredible insight into all of your, your customers. And there were all these great platforms for managing and automating your code and your engineering data. But for our people data, for the most important thing that we had to accomplish as leaders managing an organization, the single most important thing we had to do was build a great team and build a great organization. And for that, we were really back for basic just insights into my team. We're back to mostly a bunch of spreadsheets. And even today with all the HR systems that are out there, HR teams wind up back to spreadsheets for a lot of critical work. And I felt like if you could have a single centralized system that would be that central point of data, point of action that would let people share and collaborate as easily as we could in all these other areas, right? We've got all these great data platforms for the sales and marketing function or the customer success function or for the engineering function, but why did, was there nothing for the most important thing that we had to do for leaders? So I got excited about that problem. I was also, I was doing a little bit of consulting for some startups, you know, of different sizes and, and saw again and again, some of the same challenges that I'd seen at my own startup were endemic to both small scaling early stage companies and later stage companies too. So in those early days, I built a prototype. I actually rolled it out in one of the companies that I was consulting with, got some feedback there and started sharing it with people leaders, finance leaders, engineering leaders, leaders at, at different companies of different sizes and, and staging, got a lot of really validating early feedback that I was onto something really big. And looking at the website today, I see the the types of logos that any founder would dream to have on their homepage and be able to say that they're customers. But I'm sure it wasn't always that way. So can you take us back to those first few big paying customers that you landed and, and maybe just share some of the lessons that you learned along the way from landing those customers? Because that's obviously something that every founder struggles with in the early days. Yeah, I think it was in the early days getting really, really tight loops of product feedback from those early customers. You know, in the very early days, the very beginning, I leveraged my network to have some early pilots that came on board and 
just really listening to those customers, listening to their challenges, listening to their needs, their pain points and gaps, helping me build something that I think was, you know, validating. I would do, you know, regular NPS surveys and just get a lot of feedback. And I was obviously meeting with those customers very frequently as well. And I think early on, I was able to sort of ask those customers, hey, you know, how much would you pay for this? Sort of triangulated from that early feedback on getting to an initial price point. And so then as I started just sharing with others and, and, and selling to others, I closed sort of the first roughly five or 10 paying logos myself. And then I, one of my first hires following raising our seed round was, you know, a salesperson I'd worked with in the past. And I think just really listening to customers and making sure that what we were building add real value to those customers and building and iterating really fast. I think, you know, when, when you're working with a customer on something very, very new, you know, they can always have different business priorities and things that they're working on at any given time. And so you kind of, you stay top of mind by just turning around increments of work in very fast shipping cycles, right? Even if it's something small, if you can turn it around really quickly, you just get get those early customers really engaged in what you're doing. So I, I always feel like it's better to it's better to have like five customers you're working with extremely closely and getting amazing feedback from than 500 customers who don't really care. So just getting that that initial nucleus gave me the validation to start really scaling up and I think software is it's a referrals business. It's certainly true in the people in finance space that people recommend the software that they like using. And so I think if you create a, a really good experience, a really good product and encourage those early champions to champion you, you know, I would say a lot of our early business, including some of the great logos were referrals from customers who were happy with the product and, and really liked what we were doing. So over time, you scale a go-to-market motion and all of those things. But in the early days, it's really as simple as the magic of a product that is solving problems or creating excitement for people for something that they've never been able to do before outside of spreadsheets. And what was the journey like for you and the, the process to uncover who your ideal customer was? Is that something you got right immediately or did that take some time? It definitely took some time. I had a pretty clear initial focus on people and finance leaders, it was, I think that sort of figuring out the scale that worked well for the product was something that evolved over time. I think this is a very normal process. Our earliest customers were, you know, on the smaller end. And now, you know, our average customer is probably close to a thousand employees, which is a little bit more upper mid market is sort of our sweet spot. We've got some some customers that are closer to 10,000 employees. But even in those early days, like one of those five early pilot customers was, you know, a publicly traded company that was probably about 2,000 people at that time. So like, you know, you learn a little bit from different sizes. I think learning a little bit from the buyer persona and like the core users, like what are the biggest problems and challenges they have is something that we dialed into a lot, but I don't think our ICP has moved too much from the early days other than it's moved a little bit up in size of customer that we target. But 
it's certainly something you're just constantly getting better at. And I think we're, we're always continuing to improve that ICP. And what's the go-to-market motion look like? Yeah. So, I mean, early days, right. I started off with, you know, founder-led sale for those first five or 10 logos. Then I brought on, you know, somebody and it's still a pretty, you get a lot of referrals from customers. You get a lot of network. You don't have any, like, you don't have a lot of resources in terms of built out go-to-market teams. So a lot of it is about direct sales and reaching people in your extended network and a lot of, you know, pounding the pavement. I mean, literal before we went virtual, you know, in the, in the first uh, few months of the company's sort of funded life before COVID hit, there were a lot of like in-person, uh, you know, sales meetings that, that I would take. I do fewer of those or have done fewer of those uh, for the last couple of years. But so just a lot of, a lot of direct sales motion. I think now we have obviously a much more built out go-to-market team on both sort of the, the, the marketing and sales front and as well as customer success. I think we sort of continue to, to do well on referrals, but we get a lot of inbound because we touch so many different topics. We've got great content on a lot of, a lot of different things. People reach us or find out about us that way. We've got a great people operations community, which has, I think, a really good word of mouth impact. I think a lot of people hear about us. So we, so we get a lot of inbound leads and we also have an outbound team. You know, we, we probably hired BDRs, you know, maybe, maybe once the sales team was, was like three or four reps was when we hired our first BDR. And so now we have sort of a built out BDR team and our AEs do some outbound as well. So we see a, a good amount of, of leads generated by outbound motion. So and then the last is partnerships. You know, we've got some great partnerships with some other vendors in the space that are really good complementary fits for us. And we look at that as a really strong channel for us as well. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. I'd love to dive a bit deeper into the people ops community. Obviously, community-led growth is the the hot buzzword it seems like everyone's talking about on my LinkedIn, at least. Not sure if you're seeing that as well. So communities are hot right now. How did you approach designing the community? Is that a dedicated app? Is it through your website? Is it on Slack or Facebook? What's the platform that you're using for the community? Yeah, so I we're really, it's mostly fairly traditional platforms, you know, the big thing is an email that goes out every week. And so I would say where we started with the community, we actually acquired a company called Gather about a, a year, year and a half ago. And, you know, they were a small team, just a few people, three founders. And we did the acquisition for many reasons among them that the, the founders and team members are great and are, are important parts of our team today. But, you know, one piece was they had sort of started this people operations newsletter, which was great. I mean, I just read the content and I thought it was just really strong. It, it had a, a really good voice, you know, it was a kind of like cut through the noise kind of thing. A lot of times when you see companies sort of put out content, it's, it can be, you know, it can be a little bit artificial. I, and I think that the content on this newsletter, I thought was just really, really strong. And so since that acquisition, I, 
I don't want to throw out numbers that aren't right, but we have expanded that newsletter subscriber base just by like an order of magnitude because I think the content is really good. And we've also backed it with this people operations community, which is sort of built on top of the newsletter where we have sort of small moderated groups, a lot of, you know, some events and webinars, just a lot of good stuff that we've, we've done. It's really been, he's had some support from other, other parts of the marketing team, but it's been primarily, you know, one person who's really driven that community forward. So it doesn't necessarily take like massive amounts of resources, but I think the content has to be strong. The authenticity has to be strong. I think there needs to be a clear point of view or focus on the community. Like we felt that people operations was sort of underserved as a group. And, you know, you have to really invest in it and believe in it and and make it a, a real focus. Like the community can't just be purely in support of the sort of parent company's goals, right? The community has to have a a life and and authenticity to it that goes beyond that. And I think we've done a really good job of that. And when you first started in 2018, was people operations a term that was being used? Well, you know, there was a, the concept came out of Google and there was a book published on people operations. I would say that the idea of the function of people operations has grown a lot in the last, you know, four or five years that we've been doing this. I think that more and more we're seeing the HR leader start to think of themselves as people operations because it's really, it's the next frontier of what modern HR looks like. You know, every organization at any kind of scale needs really strong HR operations, there's traditional responsibilities, but like compliance and policy and all of those things. But I think every organization and the journey we just went through, through the pandemic and all the changes in the workforce and everything else have really helped every organization recognize that people strategy and people first initiatives are really key to an organization's success. How you retain, recruit top talent, how you really succeed as an organization is built on the foundation of your people strategy. And so I think the people operations function is a recognition of the importance of people and people ops to the whole strategy and success in the organization. So it's been really great to both through our community building, but also through our product, be able to help drive that shift in how we think of the HR or people operations function. So then is a people operations platform, is that an established line item that organizations are, are already looking for? Or how do you think about the market category that ChartHop falls into? I believe we're creating a new category. I think that people operations function or the people operations platform covers and encompasses a number of different existing types of traditional software. But people operations platform is something new. And I think what we've seen from our our customers and users is when people are like the HR leader, suddenly the people operations leader, and they need to help drive strategy and, and help build a better company culture and help drive people processes and initiatives. What are they going to use to accomplish that? Old HR software isn't going to cut it. And that's where I think they start really 
looking at and getting excited about forward thinking new types of platforms like ours. What are some of the activities that you're doing to evangelize that POV and the category and, and get the market to understand that this is a category of software that they need? I think that we first, when we introduced this category, the HR Transform Conference in March, it just really resonated with our audience. People know of people operations. People had often heard of us in the people analytics space. And so they understood how we had evolved into this, this platform. So I think it usually resonates really well. I think what we're continuing to do is help people understand the value of an integrated platform. I think especially in this you know market environment where there may be budget cuts or budget pressure that people are under, people understand the value of bringing things together in a single platform that can do things like bring your compensation planning and your people analytics and your performance management and your surveys and your org planning together in one platform. That makes sense to people from both a making their lives simpler and better and from a budget standpoint. So I think people are, are understanding that. But this is a, you know, we are, we debuted the people operations platform messaging just a few months ago. And it's, so it's still continuing to be something we, we drive through just everything, everything we build and, and, and everything we do. So is there a very intentional category strategy then that you're working through right now and working on executing? That's absolutely right. We have, I think, a pretty good sense of where we're going to take this category over the next few years with our customers. And I think ultimately this, this new category is a bigger category than maybe any prior HR or people software that's existed in the past. So we, we take it sort of one step at a time in terms of meeting our customers' needs of what we're hearing from them, what we're seeing from them, of processes, workflows, things that they're trying to do, initiatives they're trying to drive with their employees. And we try to add those things to the product. But I think we've our sort of long-term roadmap is very vast. And can you give us an idea of the type of growth that you're seeing? Our audience loves to hear metrics. So any numbers that you can share, please feel free to do so. Yeah, I mean, you know, since the early days, we've 100xed the company, say, since about three years ago. So it's been really, really strong growth. I think it's been driven by our customers just really responding and resonating to what we're doing. So that's where I can share there. I know. And if you reflect on that growth, what do you think you got right? And just your success in general, I'm sure there's a long list of things that you got right, probably a few things that you got wrong, but let's focus on the positive here. If we had to isolate maybe one or two things, what would they be? I think that we got right nailing a set of problems for our customers that were difficult to solve and cause pain for people. Like if you bring up headcount planning to anyone who's managed an organization, there is just a, a sigh of like, oh God, it's such, it's such a pain, such a pain every time, you know? So when you have that like pain recognition and you're able to solve that pain, I think we've done a nice job of that. I think, you know, making sure that we encourage our existing customers to refer to other customers and do our best to keep our existing customers really pleased with the progress of the platform. Those are all really important things to do. 
you know, I think if you don't make sure that your current customers are extremely successful, then scaling can be challenging. And I think that we've done a good job of listening to what we were hearing in the market and adjusting. I think that while the platform did a lot beyond people analytics, we really positioned as people analytics for some time. And I think what we heard from the market was that that didn't cover everything that we did, even for existing customers. So while people analytics was a useful positioning for where we were, I think adjusting to really embrace the category creation of people operations platform was really born out of just listening to our customers and our prospects and what we were hearing from them. And if you reflect on the journey so far, what would you say was the greatest go-to-market challenge you faced and, and how did you overcome that challenge? Well, I think the last year has been a, a tougher challenge for just the venture-backed startup space. Like a lot of companies, we sold to a lot of venture-backed startups. Those companies are under tremendous pressure. And so making sure that we are one of the, you know, we top platforms that they are hanging on to, even when they are under budget pressure, I think is something that we're, we're doing a good job of and we're, we're responding to. But, you know, like we were in a very different market like a year or two ago in the VC-backed space. There was a lot of appetite for people buying, I think, just way too many tools and software and trying to get them to sort of all talk to each other. And so I think now people are being much more thoughtful about the platforms that they invest in. And that's where I think having a really comprehensive platform as we do is a strength for us. And I saw on your website at the top there that you have content targeting the CFO specifically. Obviously, in the last year, there's been a lot of buzz about the evolving role of the CFO and how they're having a lot of influence now on software decisions. Can you talk us through that decision to you know, make CFO a, a big focus and just what you're seeing in the market there? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, many of the problems of like CFO has a stake in people operations, some of the biggest stake because people for most companies are their biggest cost. And even from very earliest days, you know, if I were thinking like those first five companies that I, you know, sort of piloted with, you know, three of them were the sort of CFO or finance leader being sort of the, the core person I was working with, or, or at least one of the core stakeholders. So we've always had, I think our, our finance user is one of our key users and sometimes buyer, but certainly in this market where CFOs are, you know, really being tasked to evaluate line by line every bit of spend that is that is happening and certainly every every piece of software that has been purchased, we want to make sure that our value proposition to the finance buyer is just really, really crystal clear. And so, you know, we, we continue to see while the people operations leader is is usually the person buying our software, it's a good chunk of times it is the finance or, or operations that's making the purchase. So we want to make sure that our story is and the value of a people ops platform is really resonating. And I think, you know, from certainly the conversations I, I have, I think it is it is resonating with the, that buyer. And a final couple of questions here. If you were starting the company again today from scratch, what would be the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Good question. 
you know, honestly, there's always mistakes along the way that you can make. And there's always different individual decision points that I might, that I might revise. But I think broadly, if I were to go back, I would only encourage myself, my past self to continue to think bigger and be even more ambitious about the potential of what we're building. I think that if I look at some of the things we're doing now, and you know, this is normal in any kind of tech, I go back to early design decisions and I say, you know, I was thinking big, but I wasn't even thinking big enough. And I think we, as founders, we're always, we're always optimistic, but we're always, especially in, at every stage, you're always, you're always mitigating risk and thinking about the downside and how do I prevent this problem? But you also have to think about, hey, what if things actually go well? How are you going to solve for that? And it sounds like a silly thing to solve for. But if I actually rewound and knew where we would be sitting now in terms of customer traction and all of those things, I think there's some product things I would have invested in a little bit earlier than we have. So I think just always thinking about the upside as well as the downside. What do you think is the most important skill for a B2B SaaS founder to have to be successful in today's environment? Relentless customer focus. And that goes with sales, that goes with customer success, that goes with product, which are all things that I think a, a good you know, founder or CEO needs to be doing or needs to be focused on. But I think in this environment, certainly true anywhere, but in this environment, you need to be really, really keyed in to your customer and what they need and want. Final question here. What's next? What's the next three to five years going to look like for you? We've got big, big plans for what we're building. Like I said, I, I work in my CTO hat uh, close with the engineering of product teams. And I'm just really thrilled with some of the things that we're working on and, and, and building. And I think we're going to continue to expand and grow the people operations category and what it means. Our mission is to build transparency in organizations. I think the industry trend is towards healthy transparency and towards having great software systems that, that help people do that. And so our, our software today and in five years is, is going to help companies really harness and unlock their people data to generate healthier transparency, healthier empowerment throughout organizations. And I, I think we're going to continue to do that at even bigger and bigger scale than before. I love it. All right, Ian, we are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build and execute on this company and category, where should they go? Go to charthop.com is one of the best places, but I would also say, you know, sign up for our, if you're in the people ops space or interested in people ops, sign up for our people ops newsletter. It's really great. Or if you want to just reach out to me, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me at ian at charthop.com. I love to hear from folks. So just reach out. Amazing. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. I've really enjoyed our conversation. and I know the audience is going to as well. So really appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much, Brett. This has been great. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.